welcome to the Red Words Podcast, where we pursue a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us weekly as we deep dive into the dynamic and oftentimes curious Holy Spirit-inspired book of God's Word. Thank you for joining me today as we continue with the second episode in the Book of Revelation series. We begin with verse 8, where the Lord Jesus Christ introduces himself to the listener. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. The Lord reveals his sovereignty upon the listener with the statement that he is first and last and everything in between. He bookends every aspect of creation by stating that he is God with a capital G, like his Father. Then the Lord repeats the identifiers the listener has already heard and knows from the first seven verses, who is, and who was, and who is to come. Jesus is repeating and layering his many names, because he is preparing to introduce additional names in the upcoming verses. Verse 8 ends with the Lord proclaiming that he is the Almighty, once again emphasizing he is God, thus assuring the listener that what is about to transpire is God's plan and it will be fulfilled. In verse 9, we move back to John as he explains more about himself. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Once again, John is sharing incredible things within a single sentence, and he ties them together with the conjunction and, brother, and, fellow partaker in the tribulation, and, kingdom, and perseverance which are in Jesus. John is joining two groups together, the letter recipients as well as the future readers of the book of Revelation who are in Jesus Christ. Both groups are incredibly important in this book of prophecy. John considers the recipients of the letter and future believers who read Revelation to be his kinsmen and John warns both groups that they will be persecuted because they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, persecution will occur in John's time, in the centuries after his death, during our present time, and into the time period when the actual event that is called the Tribulation begins. And the persecuted will be in the kingdom. And Before they get there, they must persevere, holding fast to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, just as John was doing on Patmos. This encouragement is vital for the unveiling of the first three chapters of Revelation. Keep in mind that John has firsthand knowledge of persecution. He personally witnessed it. He personally experienced it. He also dealt with the martyrdom of his fellow disciples including his brother James. John fully understands the believer's struggle toward victory, which is completed in Jesus. Next, in verses 10 through 12, John describes what happened when the vision started. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, 
and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man. The listener is introduced to two terms that will be repeated in upcoming chapters, a loud voice and the sound of a trumpet. John is given instructions, and seven churches are introduced. John turns around to identify the owner of the voice and beholds quite a sight. Seven golden lampstands are lit and their flames are flickering. Walking among them is a person John recognizes as the Son of Man, his beloved rabbi and teacher. But the Lord's appearance is quite different from the last time he saw him. Now here's the rest of verse 11 through 16. I saw one like a son of man who was clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. What a glorious representation of God in the flesh as depicted by the Revealer in the Old Testament book of Daniel. John is repeating Daniel's prophecy here, and this description would have been recognized by the church leaders receiving the letters. Jesus, the Revealer, is strong and righteous and worthy as King and Lord. He gets John's attention with a loud voice that sounds like a trumpet, and gives John instructions about the book and the letters to the specific churches. The Lord's voice roars like many waters, mighty and flowing and crashing, unmistakably powerful. This is followed by two descriptions. First are the seven stars in Jesus' right hand. Biblically, the right hand symbolizes something important, honorable, authoritative, requiring judgment, even healing. One example regarding importance and honor would be that in heaven, Jesus sits at God's right hand. So we know the seven stars have great value to the Lord and are completely under his control. Second is a two-edged sword, which is portrayed throughout Scripture as being the Word of God. One of Jesus' names is the Word of God because Jesus proclaims Father God's Word and uses it in many ways to teach, reward, prophesy, improve or admonish, declare, judge, convict, and so on. One particularly descriptive verse about the two-edged sword can be found in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Another passage about Jesus being the sharp sword and using it for God's judgment comes from Isaiah 11:4, And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breadth of his lips he will slay the wicked. The two-edged sword is Jesus' most frequently used tool. And in verse 16, the Lord is sharpening it in preparation for future events. We go on in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, to learn that John was overcome by the Lord's visit. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Imagine what it would have been like for John, in this vision, to have his beloved friend touch him with such love. Jesus gives John a little time to pull himself together by identifying himself with names John is familiar with. Then the Lord tells John that he has two very important sets of keys. Was John coherent enough to wonder? Keys? What are they about? The Lord did not give John the opportunity to ask. In verse 19, Jesus repeats the reason for his visit and instructs John again. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Huh. The Lord proclaims that the letters to the seven churches will not be the only information he gives to John. And then, in verse 20, Jesus answers the question about who and what are represented by the seven stars and the seven lampstands. Can you feel the urgency here? The Lord is not wasting any time. Poor John fell as if he was dead, and the Lord revived him and is insisting John get with the program, like, snap, snap, let's go. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Aha! Jesus is skillfully laying out vital information. The seven stars might be his holy angel messengers who will deliver the letters. They could also be seven angels who are in charge of protecting the seven churches. They could be the seven men who receive the letters. Or they could be all three, which is comforting to know that the Lord has every angle covered. But what about this? Jesus is holding these stars close, which indicates whoever the stars represent are vitally important to the unveiling of this book. Okay, who needs to read them? Well, the church leaders do. And then us, we need to read them. So the order of go is, John, get a move on and write. Angels, deliver the letters. Pastors, read the letters and follow their instructions. Angels, protect those who read the instructions and obey the solutions provided. Jesus goes on to reveal that the lampstands represent seven actual, active, working congregations in that region. Therefore, the lampstands are literal, earthly churches. For both then and throughout the centuries to right now, not one bit of this information is allegorical. So let's move on to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and the letter to the church at Ephesus. 
To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. The first of Jesus' letters answers the question of the seven stars being the recipients of his letters. They are men he holds close and dear to his heart. He tells them that he walks among them, he is with them, and he wants them to be without blemish, holy and pure. He expects the seven leaders to teach their congregations God's word in its entirety, straight and true, and with no falsehood. Then, Jesus commends each individual within the Ephesus church, the congregation as a whole, and their church leaders for refusing to tolerate evil people. As a whole, they do not allow evil into their midst. Wait, why would Jesus mention protection from evil? The large city of Ephesus was predominantly pagan. Its citizens worshipped the Greek goddess Diana at the temple of Artemis. Diana was the daughter of Zeus and Leto, and she was twin to the god Apollo. Artemis was known as the goddess of the wilderness, of the hunt, of wild animals, protector of young women and children. Apparently, she had a vile temper, though, and once demanded the daughter of King Agamemnon as a sacrifice for a wrong the king committed. In Greek mythology, Artemis killed Orion for his attempted rape attack against her. Artemis turned one of her followers into a bear after the young woman had sex with her father, Zeus. Then she banished the bear and her child into the sky to live forever as constellations. But wait, the evil gets worse. Artemis used her hunting bow to kill six innocent daughters of Niobe because Niobe boasted that she was more fertile than Artemis's mother, Leto. The list of the goddess's lawlessness continues, but it's interesting that her followers in Ephesus worshipped her as a protector of women, yet all she did was kill innocent women regularly. The enormous temple of Diana became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world where black magic and human sacrifices were commonly practiced to appease this goddess whose actions rocket her into a whole new level of evil. According to verse 2, the church at Ephesus worked long and hard, refusing to tolerate the many evil men who attempted to infiltrate their congregation. The congregation was also diligent in determining if anyone attempting to join their church was false, regarding themselves to be one of Jesus' apostles. The church at Ephesus did not want anyone to turn a member of their congregation toward pagan practices. Jesus is careful to tell the Ephesus leaders that he knows they have endured all of this evil and treachery for him alone and he is aware that they will not grow weary in their work. High praise from the Most High God who walks among them. In the next episode of the Book of Revelation series, 
we're going to explore Jesus's concerns and subsequent instructions for the church at Ephesus. And so, dear friends, take heed of the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God today as you seek a deeper personal relationship with Him. Thank you for joining me, and know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you very much. And so do we. Until next week, may you be richly blessed. Amen and amen.